seriously popular. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In today's episode... Chris compares Man United to his breakfast. Why Maranakis would be mad to sack Cooper. And the magic, genius and warmth of Terry Venables. I'm Ian Ladyman. I'm Chris Sutton. And it's all kicking off. Mate, the Premier League form table has an interesting look about it. Have you had a look at it? No, go on. Manchester United top. Manchester United are top of the Premier League form table with five wins from their last six games. Mm, uh, and good for them, good for Eric Ten Hag. But are we being sort of fooled a little bit? Um, because the performances haven't been there. I know on the face of things, a 3 0 win at Everton, um, you know, with all what's going on there. Big result for them carries on a bit of momentum for them, but they're not playing well. They're not. They're not playing. Um, you know, with fluency, it isn't attack, attack, attack. It's getting the job done. It's it's boring football, isn't it? Whenever I mention Man- Manchester United to you, to you, you always start your reply with a big sigh, as mm. if you feel as though you you want to say something a little bit more positive. But you just can't bring yourself to do but, it. But, but, but am I being am I being fair? So I came down this morning on the train and had a, I mean I like my breakfast and what have you, but I had a bland sort of pot of porridge. But I mean, and, and that sort of pretty much sums up Manchester United at this moment in time. If you were comparing to a breakfast, if you're watching Manchester City or Tottenham, it's a champagne breakfast. Isn't it? It's it, it, it's different. And I want to ask you who the fried egg of the Premier League is. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Who did you go with that? Yeah, uh, Sheffield United, I think. Broken shell. Sheffield United, mm. a broken shell of a football team. Um, yeah, bland porridge, Manchester United. I totally see where you're coming from. I was at, at the game yesterday. I described their first half performance as dreadful, I think. And I just want to tell you a little little story. Um, so back in the day, when I was at uh, early days of doing this job, if a, if a reader disagreed with you, you'd probably wait to get a letter through the post, or you might get a phone call to the office or something like that. No, it's just time has, time has gone on and into in the era of kind of internet and emails, etc. You get abuse on Twitter, uh, but, you know, Twitter's not really inhabited by real people, so we don't, we don't really worry about that. But last night, leaving 
Goodison Park, I had received my first email from a reader telling me that I was an idiot who knew nothing about football <laughs> before I'd even got back to the car. I settled into the, into the driver's seat. I thought, I'll just check my email before I drive home. And there was a chap there taking me to task for the way I described United's performance. His point was that his team had won 3-0. And that what who was I to be so ne- to be so negative about it? And you know what? It actually got me thinking a little bit, and made me wonder. I was driving home and made me wonder whether are we judging Manchester United and the way they play by historical standards of the way that great Manchester United teams played? And given that there hasn't been a great Manchester Manchester United team for ten years, maybe that maybe that's unfair. Maybe we are unfair. Yes, but but also we, you know, so I th- I think we are judging Manchester United uh, by historical standards. I, I I think we're judging Manchester United uh, on the size and the magnitude of the club. They are arguably the biggest club in in world football, and they over the past decade uh, have served up a brand of football which isn't. Uh, anything like which we saw under Sir Alex Ferguson. And I think, you know, the truth is uh, you get your diehard Manchester United fans who, you know, may have that viewpoint. Uh, but there's a lot of sort of Manchester United fans out there who are, who are sort of similar to us, I think, and being pr- pretty underwhelmed. And I think, we're, you know, we are both, I think I can speak for you on this, we're, we are both fans of Eric Ten Hag and, mm. and, and, and understand the difficulty of the job which he went into, did a great job last season. I felt this season that Manchester United, performance-wise, their levels have slipped. They have regressed. And and this period of games, I think I called him Eric Ten Games, a few, <laughs> a few games back, have, have been really important for him in terms of results for him and trying to build a, a little bit of momentum but let's not let's not pretend that Manchester United are all of a sudden a brilliant watch and out of the woods they are not I'm I'm kicking my I'm now kicking myself underneath this bright yellow table that we're sitting at in our new podcast studio today because I'd forgotten that that you called him Eric 10 games they've now won five, about five go, of yeah. those games and I haven't Told you on it, but you've done it. You've done it for me. Now the overhead kick. I was right behind it. I was. It, it was a wow. I think I said wow when it went in. Um, Just wow. Uh, oh, you what, what? you, you don't up, get. You don't get excited. You don't jump up much, and down. Do you? you don't jump up and down and applaud in the press box, Chris. That's for sure. Uh, poor etiquette. Well, even even a moment like no, that, you don't that, have to. You don't have to be a Manchester United fan. You you just have to be a fan of the beautiful Chris, game. Chris, John John Murray on uh, Five Live commentary. I've never heard him. As excited, we even all, when we used to go for a few beers in in Portugal together, he's never been as excited as as he was we yesterday. All, we all love Big John, um, but he's uh, as impartial as anybody. I wouldn't even jump up and down if England scored the winner in a World Cup final in the press box. You just don't do it. You might be happy happy inside. You don't do it anyway. It was a wow moment. It was a wow moment. You've described it. Um, like I say, on the front page of our verdict pullout this morning and across all our digital platforms, Mail Online, Mail Plus, as the game's greatest ever overhead kick. But now you've woken up and changed your mind. <laughs> I mean, that's, that in, that's inconsistency that, for you. No wonder you only played one, was, one game for England if you're that inconsistent. That, that's a private conversation. I haven't... It's not, I it's haven't not anymore. <laughs> I haven't changed my mind, you but have. for what I did do, you I did, have. I did, it was so good, right? That, that, because all I kept thinking uh, of was the Rooney 
overhead kick where he shinned it, didn't he? he you know, he, correct. You know, I, I still would have loved to have to have scored uh, a shinner as an overhead kick. You know, of course I would have done. But the the, the technique. Everything was perfect, but then it, I did remember the bail uh, overhead kick. I watched it coming down on the train this morning, and I, I kept trying to find a fault in it. And you know, that's, they're both really—they're both the same, I think. So therefore, so it's, it's not the game's greatest ever overhead joint. kick. It's the best one for four years. Four years. No, no, it's a joint. They're they joint the best. That wouldn't have made such a good headline. Moving on. Um, Gary Neville wore, Gary Neville wore, he, wore heated gilet at that game yesterday. A heated mm. gilet. He's from, Ber- yeah. from Berry. Yeah. He's from I'm, Berry. I'm, I'm, I'm with even, you on that. That's that's quite sad, all this. You know, you always had him down as a sort of tough, rugged, no-nonsense player. A heated gilet, Gary. It wasn't even that cold. Um, now, Everton, that was their big day yesterday for kind of the wrong reasons. We know that the, the, they've been hit with this 10-point Premier League deduction uh, we went all over that on last week's uh, podcast. We don't need to do it again. But this was supposed to be the day when they kind of showed everybody that, that, that they that they are not going to be cowed, they're not going to be beaten, that they're going to fight it on the field. The atmosphere was remarkable. The unity in the stadium was terrific. The banner, by the way, uh, the bit, there's a name for them, it begins with T, I don't know what it is. Um, the banner that they had um, at the Gladys Street with Sean Dyche on it, dogs of war, look fantastic. But they've lost 3-0. They played well in the game, the 24 shots, I think. Um, but I, you and I think they'll get out, even with the 10 points. We've said that before. We think they'll get out. What I will say, I'll say two things. Goodison's perhaps not a, as much of an asset as we think, given that they've won one and drawn one. They can there. make it an asset, though, can't they? Well, they can, but they need to. They've won one and drawn one there this season. And the other thing that concerns me a little bit is that they haven't got much on the bench. They haven't got much on the bench, and they haven't got much to come back. I was looking at their injury list this morning. Got Gomez, Anana, and Beto, the you know the young Portuguese striker on it. That's kind of it. So I look at that team. I look at that they didn't offer that much off the bench yesterday. And again, you come back to what happens if they lose someone like Decore? What happens if they lose Calvert, you know, uh, Calvert-Lewin? It, it, you know, there are other teams in the Premier League, like Brighton, for example, Tottenham, who we'll come on to in a bit, who are already at Manchester United, who are labouring, but under the weight of injuries. It worries me a little bit if that comes Everton's way. Because it won't be able very, to spend yeah, in January. Yeah, well, you're very much glass half empty as a as a type of guy, aren't you? Mm. I, I, I think glass I, empty. I, I think that uh, I, th- I think the your sort of view on it is a little bit unfair and distorted. I I can understand <clears throat> why Everton fans are worried, but it is because of the ten point deduction. You know, had you know, they, they, I don't know what, where they'd be. Would they be fourteenth, thirteenth, fourteenth? You know, they'd, 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 they'd be comfortable. And, uh, I mean, you, you you thought there'd be in a relegation battle mm. uh, anyway before, mm-hmm. the, before the points deduction. I, did, yeah. I think that, I'm not saying that they've proved you wrong. I, th- I think that because of the nature of the league this season and, and the promoter teams, albeit struggling, uh, albeit Luton, look like they've got a little bit about them. Um, you know, Everton... Look to me like they would stay up comfortably and have a, have enough about them. Uh, I take your point about squad depth that being uh, a, a a bit of an issue. Um, but 
I actually thought they were unlucky in the game. They were. Uh, you know, against Manchester United. They, they had opportunities. I know Sean Dyche quite rightly has looked back to, to earlier home games this season, which they've lost, I think, against Wolves, against Fulham, where they had plenty of chances, didn't take them. And that's an issue. But in terms of performance, you know, I, th- I thought it was all right. The penalty decision, I thought it was a penalty in truth. I mean, Ash- Ashley... Young is so reckless, isn't he? He's often reckless. Yeah, he should should, should have got uh, sent off. But now I I I think that it's going to be a struggle um, for them. But I think that they are good enough to uh, to get out. And you know, you make the point about the squad. I I think it's fair. But um, I think they'll need some goals from that midfield. I think they'll need some goals from Harrison. They'll need some goals from McNeil and uh, and Decorey and Gatt. But they'll get that. I think they'll get that. Maybe. I mean, Sean Dice quickly before we move on was critical of VAR after the game. I mean, look, I don't see why. As far as I'm concerned, the penalty. um, Initially, the referee uh, John Brooks uh, books Martial for diving. VAR tells him actually he's got it wrong. That's actually VAR working. I'm yep. sorry, I'm sorry, Sean. That's VAR um, working now. Um, just on the subject of Everton and their points deduction, I had an email um, from a chap named Bernard Thompson, who's a Celtic fan actually, Chris. And the first thing he said to me was, um, "I'm sorry, you. I was sorry to hear that you received abuse, Ian, for your comments on the impoverished." nature of Scottish football, even if I appreciated Chris's defence of the game. However, if anything reeked of the privilege and entitlement of English football, it was your suggestion, my suggestion, that Everton were guilty of a relatively minor infraction. I must accept I'm not clever enough to understand why football clubs have to run up debts that would have made Vetus Gerolitis cut up his American Express card. I'm just a fan of a solvent club that's painfully in constant decline on the European stage. Uh, Vitus Carolitis is, of course, the playboy Argentinian tennis player, I think. Mm, I, know, I, I know the name. From the 80s, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I know the um, era. So there we go. You know, there are some people out there who uh, who do think Everton uh, got, what, got what they deserved um, off the pitch, but there were not many of them at Goodison yesterday. Now, mate, it's... Um, it's November the twenty seventh. We are a month away from Christmas. Nobody in the Premier League has been sacked has been sacked yet. Um, and the reason I say that with an element of surprise is because that is unusual. But I think one might one or two might be coming. Mm. And so, if uh, it is unusual, I think with and the, heartening, with, with heartening, yet yeah, but with the with the the nature of the game, the money involved in the in the Premier League, we. I've seen owners in the past really uh, panic, uh, mm. but you know, as ever with uh, with situations like this, what normally happens is a new manager comes in and they'll want to spend a fortune. Um, but you know, I think that there are possibly one or two clubs on the brink of making a change. Yeah. We've mentioned that we've mentioned Paul Heckenbottom before, and I've feared for him for a while. I still fear for him. Um, do you have a little bit of insight into this situation that I was um, told a couple of weeks ago that Heckenbottom essentially had been, whether it's been outlined to him or not, I don't know, but essentially he'd been given um, f- kind of four games to show signs of, of, of life. And that was because the four games concerned were against um, relatively uh, uh, modest opposition and they were Wolves and Brighton and Bournemouth. Disrespectful. To... 
to Wolves and Brighton, who, is, were, it, who were doing pretty it well. Is, but, it's not, but it's not Liverpool and Chelsea and Manchester City and people like that. Uh, but I said, I'm, I'm only telling you what I know. And what I know is that, they look, they, is that the Sheffield United looked at four games and they were the ones that, the ones that I've just mentioned, Wolves and Brighton and Bournemouth and Burnley this coming weekend and thought that Heckenbottom might be able to kind of improve things. They did beat Wolves. They did get a good draw um, with Brighton. But then Saturday against Bournemouth looked really, really bad. Their yeah. own supporters were lampooning them because they scored a goal. And I do, I do, I do suspect that the writing may pretty much be on the well, wall they, for, yeah. for, for Paul. I'm afraid. If the, well, if there was a uh, a tipping point mm. for uh, for Paul Heckingbot, I mean, I, I don't think they should sack him. And I've you know I've given a view before. Um, in the past on Paul Hakingbottom getting him out of the championship which I yeah. thought was you know not an easy thing to do they had an embargo sell the best players at the start of the season they are where they are but from the owner's uh, perspective the game against Bournemouth where I suppose Sheffield United fans would think well you know that, that's a that's a, a winnable game but losing 3-1 wasn't the whole story of the game. Mm. 3-1 flattered Sheffield United. Yeah. It could have been 5, 6, 7 and that's the most sort of damning aspect. And they've already, and they've already lost eight, 8 at home yeah. to, to Newcastle and 5 away but, at But it's at against, Arsenal. you know, it, it's against, yeah. you know, from a from a, a fan's perspective it's against another struggling team and, and, and to be blown away as they were that's I mean they're, they're alarm bells. And the thing that worries me about them is that they don't I think Heckenbottom's a coach I, I, when I say that, I mean a, a coach rather than a kind of manager of people. I think he's a good coach. People in football tell me he's a good how coach. Do you, how do you how do you know that? Well, That's a bit, you know. I, you know I, don't, I don't like that. You, you know, so I don't know who you listen to, but but you don't you don't actually know that. He must have something about him as a manager as well and the messages. Well, okay, let's rephrase it in terms of the kind of uh, uh, the skill set that he relies on. I, I'm told by people in football that that he's and this is a compliment, by the way, that his that his greatest asset is is, is his kind of coaching ability. But as we all know, um, when you're in the mess like they are, sometimes you just need. You know, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about Terry Venables in a while. The late who sadly passed away on Sunday because Terry had everything: great coach, great manager of people, ticked all the boxes, ten out of ten. Not everybody does, and I just wonder whether whether Paul has it has it within him to to get this group of players to play above the levels that they need to to get out of a mess because the way that the way they are at the moment they I think you know they will go down if it weren't for Everton's deduction they'd already be starting to look adrift the other manager who uh, we've been talking about over the weekend, the back page of the Mail on Sunday, um, and on all our digital platforms, exclusive story by Mike Keegan at the weekend. Is it Steve Cooper at Noscombe Forest is under scrutiny again um, from uh, the ownership at, Forest, at the city ground? Now, that is ridiculous, but it's true. Uh. <laughs> These these stories about Steve Cooper, uh, I mean, a lot of these stories, uh, um, you know, they 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 come out because of the owner's reputation and the and the owner's uh, past and the owner being uh, an owner who you know doesn't doesn't mess about wants 
uh, instant success. So in many respects, you could say that the the owner with his background has been patient with Steve Cooper. No, you, but, could, no, you couldn't. Um, well, you could with his background of, of firing uh, managers, you know, his past history, you absolutely could. So relative to his own track record. Yeah, no, right. exactly. You know, so it, he, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that he's right to do that. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. But looking at the owner's track record of firing managers, you can, you can't. You know, you can't argue against that. The fact this is an owner who sort of wants success. Um, you know, absolutely instantly. But, but but on the on the face of things, let me finish before you mm. before you butt in. On the face of things. Um, I mean, you, I mean, Nottingham is a is a city you know very well. I was I was born in Nottingham. Uh, used to support Forrest as, as a kid. But the job which he's done under difficult circumstances, um, the connection which Steve Cooper has with the fan base, you'll know this better than me. I, you know, since Clough, has there been a, a, a manager who has that connection which Cooper has with the fan base? Well, Stuart Pearce was in for a while, wasn't he? And, and Martin was in for a while, but I totally take your point. The mm. city ground has not been as alive as it has been for the last uh, two years, uh, in, a, in the last uh, 20 years. Mm. So you're right. So what the owner has to weigh up... Um, this is, is the owner it, of Angelus Maranakis, yes, by the way. Yeah. We haven't, so, haven't so, named him. So... What he has to weigh up is how damaging that could be sacking a guy who the Nottingham Forest support really believe in. And then whether he takes into account, uh, I, I don't know which way the owner would look at this, but, you know, the wholesale changes, changing a squad when they, when they got up, the difficulty for a coach uh, to, 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 to put a team out to compete at Premier League, level when you when you have all these players brought in under your nose and it was he did an incredible job keeping them up getting them up was ridiculous from the position which he Correct. you know he, he took the club over getting them up and then maintaining uh, not maintaining but but uh, premiership survival premier league survival in the first season that that was a big deal but it all comes down to expectation doesn't it i i personally think start of the season if forest could finish 12 13th then that would that would still be a, a, another building block in place a slow burner but for whatever reason you know if 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 Steve Cooper does get the sack that's because the owner has some sort of delusion that they're going to they're going to challenge for a European spot or and, whatever. And I think and it is that. I think Marinakis genuinely, genuinely does not um, understand English football. He's used to, he's a serial winner in his other club that he owns, Olympiakos. They've won the Greek title oodles of times, seriously, like 40 times, something stupid. Um, and I don't think he understands it. I don't think he has people around him who are strong enough to to, to give him uh, sound advice that he will listen to. And I think that if they... If if he sacks Cooper, if he sacks Cooper, I think Forrest will start to trend backwards again. Cooper is overperforming at that football club. He has put uh, that city not back on the map as a sporting city because it's got a, another football club that's doing very well further down the pyramid. It's got a fabulous cricket cricket ground. He hasn't put Nottingham back ice on rink. the rink. Absolutely, Nottingham Panthers. Uh, I think Tolvland Dean. Ice hockey team. Tolvland Dean. Chris Sutton. Um, but. Um, 
he has brought a life racetrack he's brought a life to that city again from a sporting perspective he's 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 injected a uh, a dose of adrenaline and purpose back into that football club but you know what the one person who won't be worrying about this is steve cooper because he knows the type of person that he's working for about a year ago maybe just over when Forest were struggling when they first came up. Remember, they'd changed the squad completely. There were more um, ins and outs at the city ground last summer before this one than we'd probably ever seen at, at a promoted club. And, and they were struggling. They were in the bottom three. Pressure was on. A Cooper and Marnakis had dinner in, in London. And as far as I'm aware, Cooper put it on the, basically put it on the table, metaphorically, and said, essentially said, said to Marnakis, look, we either move forward together or we don't really move forward because we can't carry on like this. I've got to know that, you, that you're behind me. And that was at a time when, when Maranakis was 100% thinking of sacking him. And Cooper was like, I've got to know that you're behind me. Got a new contract. Got a new contract two days later. So he won that one. But I think he knew and he's always known that it's probably not was a job. Was that after a few bottles of wine though? Who no. knows? It's probably not a job for the long term. I think Cooper knows that. Because unless you're in the top six, or certainly the top half, you're not going to keep someone like Maranakis happy. So, Cooper, if you were to go, and I think it would be ridiculous, just like you do. Well, I know it would be ridiculous. If he were to go, he'd, there is such a thing as being sacked with honour, i.e. Mm. when the whole world knows that it's just stupid. Now, um, I think you'd probably have to have lived, be living on the moon not to be aware that last week um, you and I went quite hard on the issue of referees and dissent and abuse. Heard from two um, grassroots referees a week ago who'd quit the game because of the abuse they receive at their level. There's a campaign running across our, across our uh, platforms in the pages of the Daily Mail. Um, Stop the abuse, we call it. Um, trying to get the message through to managers and players at the top level that dissent and certainly abuse of referees is not acceptable. And at the city ground, we had a red card for um, found abusive language. Now, I say that was in such a dramatic inflection in my voice because it's the f Lewis Dunk's red card for Brighton was the first red card for found abusive language that a Premier League referee has dished out for 11 years years and that's, that's 11 that years now at the game for those of you who might be listening thinking that's just not true it was two yellows what happened was dunk um contests a decision with uh to anthony taylor the referee um uh, and uh, in, in, in an overly forceful way and is booked he then says something uh, personally abusive to taylor and did not get a second yellow for that. He got a straight red for what? Now, I, I watched it back on Max Today about 10 times, desperately trying to lip-read what he said, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. But you can tell from Taylor's expression that it was bad, and he, and he walked. He walked, and um, I hope, probably in vain, that this is the start of the message starting to get through. The last referee to send a, a play off for, for a family abuse was Mike Dean, sent Lee Catamole off, actually after a final whistle, a game that Catamole was playing for Sunderland. Now, Dean's, Dean wrote um, a little column for us this morning, and he actually says, um, Mike Dean, debates over decisions are fine, derogatory insults are not. Premier League players should prepare for firmness. They have forgotten the boundaries. Something had to change, and Anthony Taylor has led the way. And I think that's perfectly put and before we move on from referees Chris Kavanagh referee from uh, Ashton Underline which is not in Manchester um, 
was is that a uh, good thing? No, he his 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 impartiality was questioned by some Liverpool supporters before Saturday's game with City. They were saying he's from Manchester. He's not. He's also also not a Manchester City fan. It's a whole load of nonsense. I thought he had a really really good game, and I thought he got the big decision right. The um, the Akanji foul on Allison for the disallowed City goal, I thought was spot on. I thought he got it wrong. Why you allowed to, you allowed to put your arm on a goalkeeper as you, as he as he jumps? Um, there has to be enough contact. Was there was there enough contact for Allison to roll into his goal and hold his foot? No, there wasn't. Right, there wasn't. But there was enough contact to stop him no. catching the ball. Well, I mean, that's well. This is you know, this is it's subjective, isn't it? I don't think there was enough contact. I think your goalkeeper in those situations. I don't know what. Not that it makes it right. Uh, right, what uh, most ex pros think, but I think most people I've spoken to think your goalkeeper in that situation has to be stronger. We don't want to um, be digging into Gary Neville again today, but I am actually going to have another little dig at Gary. He gave Trent Alexander-Arnold the man of the match from the Liverpool City game. Absolutely superb goal, by the way. Terrifically finished. But Jeremy Doku had Trent on toast for most of that game, didn't he? Mm. Hey? I don't... What was his quote? Gary Neville, the right back. Um, Kyle Walker's the right back in yeah, England, surely. Well, it... it it's what floats your boat, isn't it? It's what, what you know. What, what what do you want from your uh, from your right back? I know everybody you know loves loves forward thinking right back. Nobody's nobody's disputing Trent Alexander Arnold isn't one of the most wonderful passers of a ball the Premier League has ever seen. But bottom line, you're right about Doku. Uh, can Trent Alexander Arnold uh, defend, and, 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 and he can't. He, he struggles, and actually, the the goal that he scored that they pointed out really well on uh, on Sky. His positioning was so bad when, uh, when Doku actually um, oh, the received it. Mm. No, no, the, the Liverpool goal oh, in the end. Oh, okay. So, in, in the first instance, you you look at his positioning out on the right, and so he's quite quite high up where he should drop because where's the danger? Then Doku drifts past uh, Matip, and Haaland has the deflect. Oh, yeah. where, where it's yeah. And then all of a sudden, Liverpool go up the other end, and his goal is brilliant. His first touch, quick touch, shot off. It's unbelievable. But I'm, yeah. la- I'm, I'm laughing here because you've now got to the point in Trent Alexander Arnold's career where he's even getting criticised for score for when he no, he scores no, a goal. No, 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 but, but there, 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 there are yeah. both sides to the game. So, so when you, you know, so when I'm saying, you know what I mean when I say, you know, what, what floats your boat? You know, are we looking for now just purely ball playing, attacking? Uh, fullbacks, or is it important? Is it is it old fashioned? I don't think it's old fashioned, but in one v one situations, that's when you really find out who's a good defender. Hold that thought. We'll be back right after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, very briefly, um, the other game yesterday, another kind of thrilling game at, at um, Tottenham Stadium, Villa beat Spurs. So that's three um, three defeats on the spin um, for Ange Postacoglu. Now, as many people will know, Chris and I went to see Ange last week for an hour at Tottenham's training ground. I had a lovely, a lovely chat with him. And uh, one of the illuminating sections of that conversation was to do with how Postacoglu deals with his players. And um, put it this way, I don't think that many of those broken and kind of uh, mentally, uh, let's say, disappointed and upset Tottenham players from yesterday will be getting much of an arm around the shoulder in the days to come. I'm no good at small talk. I, 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 I do get really uncomfortable. I can talk about football all day. I can sit here and we can have a talk for the next four hours. We go out there in the foyer and you start asking me about what are you doing tomorrow or what did you do yesterday, then I get really uncomfortable. It's just not me as a person, right? Um, but the so you're my... stuck to football with Kenneth Brown, then I presume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> correct. Um, so then with the players it's and with the staff, no, I don't spend a lot of one-on-one time with them. I, I But... It doesn't mean there isn't a connection there. It wouldn't work if, if players didn't feel connected to me. And how I show that and how I transfer that is probably different to what maybe most people would see it. Because the other thing that you've got to realise is, and you guys have walked in, this is a massive organisation, right? There's so many people here. And my goal is to try and make every single one of them valued in, in, in one way or another. So I try and get across as many people. Now, if I decided to have a coffee with every one of those people, I'd do nothing else but sit down and have coffee. So I think there are other ways you can show people you're close to them and you care about them and particularly with the players, I'm totally invested in them and, and who they are as people, as, as players. That doesn't have to mean, that doesn't mean that I'm with them constantly or having a lot of time with them. Um, most of the chats I have to them is as a group, but if there are individual sort of issues, then I'll always, you know, yeah. the players are comfortable enough to come to me. It's just that I won't be sitting down with them while they're having a meal and, and asking them how their day was. Interesting. Shows us there's more than more than one way to do it. Um, we both agree that that Tottenham were a little bit uh, unlucky yesterday. They, you know, they. Sasson so, yeah. had three disallowed goals. Yeah. They, I mean, Tottenham should have been out of sight yeah. in the first. So, look, I mean, they've taken the lead in the last three games. They've they've, they've given leads up, and and there will be there will be people out there who will be critical because of that approach. Just from a a, a player's perspective, I think, and you know, it's, you know, it's interesting. Sort of, we discussed it before about Postecoglou being a little bit aloof. I, I I totally get that, but what he said about the players being uh, valued and uh, and they're all invested in in the way they're playing, I would have loved to have played for Postacoglu. You know, you're you're a, you're a, you're a, uh, a footballer. What what do you want? What type of game do you want to play? You want to be all in. You want to play attacking football. And something which I learned from his time at Celtic um, was it's all about 
performance and if you keep your level of performance uh, really high and you keep pushing on and and you keep believing and the Tottenham players clearly are believing in the way that they're uh, in the way that he's setting them up and the way that they're playing then then you know they are heading in the right direction Tony Venables um, passed away yesterday at the at the age of 80 um, the two terrific tribute pieces in um, in the Daily Mail and across our digital platforms today. The first one by Jeff Powell, who knew Terry very, very well, um, a very dear friend of, of Terry's. The first piece by Jeff is is a really, really moving piece. It really is a testament to the power of of sporting friendship and loyalty and um, the real the real kind of uh, I don't know, the, the beautiful nature of, of of friendship and what and what sport can do, I would I would urge anybody to to, to read that lovely piece. That's a, a lot of that piece is about Terry's journey to Barcelona and how that happened. Um, and the other piece in our pages today is written by our chief sports writer Oliver Holt, which is another lovely piece, a different piece. And he he talks about the what Terry did when he was manager of the England team. And that is, I'm 54. Um, that's what I remember most about about Terry. I. I didn't know Terry. I met him. I did, but I can't pretend to, to know him. Um, but I do remember what what his England team did. And you have to remember that the England team that he took to U United Six to the semi finals within a shootout of the final, um, they hadn't qualified for the previous World Cup in in America. The previous Euros four years before that, we'd come bottom of our group, scoring one goal. And yet the Terry Venables team. Um, almost got to the final and I will never forget the way that they destroyed uh, Holland at, at Wembley um, 4-1 unbelievable performance a day when things a day when kind of a certain way of playing that we associated with with continental teams kind of arrived on our own own doorstep that was a heck Gus Hiddings Holland team it was a heck of a football team and Venables Venables team annihilated them that day yeah I think um, you know reading Ollie Holt's piece uh, today uh, it, a comment from Gus Hiddink about Hiddink saying that was one of the only times he felt that he was you know, out coached, out thought mm. and that's what, I mean Venables was uh, a larger than life character but we had a, we had a caller in actually on, uh, on, on a football phone in 606 uh, who had some great stories about him but you know I asked him about you know what was Terry's um, greatest strength he said it knew him well he said he was just highly highly intelligent mm. you know highly intelligent and uh, and that's what he was I mean he had a stellar management uh, career you know you think what going over to Barcelona the Jeff Powell piece is is is, is lovely and you know Jeff talks about sort of his his influence in Terry Venables actually you know making that move to Barcelona what he what he achieved there where Real Madrid were was a dominant team coming back to Spurs and signing Lineker, signing Gascoigne. Um, you know, Gascoigne was an, an absolute maverick and you know, he was trouble, wasn't he? But, you know, with England, he, Terry Venable, Terry, I remember there were, there were calls, you know, early part of my career for, you know, for Gascoigne to be, to be dropped mm. because he's, you know, wild and what have you. But Venables loved him and, and Gascoigne clearly loved uh, Venables, but that whole '96, the summer of uh, you know '96, 
uh, put a put a smile back on the the nation's face and lifted a nation. And England didn't win the tournament, you know, knocked knocked out in the in the semi finals. But everybody remembers it, and that was that's a testament to him. And you make a great point actually about England's struggles, um, uh, you know, not qualifying for the for, for the World Cup, not qualifying for the the previous Euros. Going into the tournament, my memory is there wasn't a great there wasn't. expectation. There wasn't. In, you, England were playing to thir- England were playing matches in front of thirty thousand people at Wembley to build up to that to that tournament. There really wasn't a great expectation. I was reading or flicking through Stuart Pearce's book on the train down this morning just to get a little bit of a flavour of his memories, and he described um, Venables as one of the two great coaches he worked for. The other one being um, the other one being Glenn Hoddle, which is quite something given that Pearce worked mm-hmm. for Brian Clough. Um, and Pearce talks a lot um, about. The, way, the clever way that Venables handled Gaza. Everybody knows the way that Sir Bobby Robson went out of his way to kind of handle Gaza. But Terry was the same. Um, we haven't got time to go into all the details um, here, but it was quite a troubled build-up to Euro 96. Uh, the, the dentist the den- chair, the dentist yeah, chair. Yeah. And then the, and he, the, he used that as a strength, didn't uh, he? And then the squad basically trashed a, play, a Cathay-specific plane on the way home. The suggestion is that Gaza was at the centre of that. And the way that Terry decided to deal with what was an incredibly delicate situation that the England team had caused damage on this plane. It was just starting to leak out into the media and he knew that before long it would it would leak out that Gaza was at the centre of it. Gaza would be on the front page of the newspapers before the tournament and it could de- derail the team before the tournament even started. So what Terry did was essentially persuade every single member of that squad to cough up £5,000 each, a lot of money, in 1996, a lot of money now, £5,000 each to pay for the damage. Even those who, who hadn't been involved in it. And Pierce writes in his book that he really had to, as an individual, Pierce said he had to really take a deep breath with that one because he hadn't been involved. But he understood that what it was about. It was about, it was a message, we're all in this together. It doesn't matter who did it, we're in it together, we've made a mess together, we'll clean it, we'll clean it up together. And we were talking before, weren't we, about Paul Hagenbottom and management, and that's what management is to a degree, isn't it? It's management mm. of people, it's not just about uh, football. Uh, and a couple of points I want to make before, before we finish is it, um, I, if I close my eyes and think of Terry Venables, I think of two things. I think of that brilliant Alan Shearer goal against yeah. Holland, the one when showing him opens his body and lays it off and uh, Shearer slashes it into the top corner. Brilliant goal. And I also picture Terry and Brian Clough walking onto the pitch before the um, 81 Cup final, the Gaza Cup final, and Clough held his hand. Clough he- holds Venable's hand. Any other manager, I think, in the country at that time would have, I don't know, panicked, <laughs> refused, looked uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Terry pulled it off. He just looked, took, took he knew what tried. Clough was doing and he thought, I'll go with that. And it's a, and it's a great image and, and Terry's mm-hmm. team won the, won the game. Of course. Did you, so my, my memories of Euro yeah. 96, four memories, the Gascoigne goal and the, yeah, and the, and the celebrate include mm-hmm. that. Um, then you had the, the the goal against the Dutch, sharing yeah. him so so clever, oh, so unselfish, yeah. and and yeah. Shearer's um, yeah. emphatic finish. Then then the Pierce Stuart Pierce's penalty against Spain. Against Spain, I was at that game. You know, I mean, talk, a, talk, talk about yeah. balls oh, yeah. uh, and a great moment. Yeah. And then and then the sort of human side of uh, Terry with with Gareth yeah. Southgate. Yeah, you, you know, just 
basically these things you know happen life goes on and and you know that was that was a, a not, not a nice moment for england of course but just sort of summed him up so there we go terry venables um god rest his soul moments of um the weekend i've got about nine and we're running out of time so let's <laughs> let's let's do yours first um yeah mine's my, this is this is bad because it's boring but it's not boring it's not unusual uh <laughs> that's good uh erling Haaland. i mean just yeah no exactly but just breaks records but it is it is phenomenal right you've covered the premier league yeah. for however long so uh 50 premier league goals so who who held the record before erling Haaland? and why do i know first that? to 50 first to 50 Shearer. No. no andy cole, andy cole. right how many games did it take Andy Cole. Yeah, many more. That's why. 65. Yeah. 65. Yeah. Erling Haaland, 50 goals, 48 Premier League goals. Yeah. That is, you know, you, you, you think of the great strikers, great strikers that have been in the Premier oh, League. Absolutely. That, that, that's astonishing. It is, and it is also, watching that game uh, on the telly on, on Saturday, um, my dear heart, uh, Darwin Nunes, didn't have his best game. And it's one of those where you think, if you switch him around... If you put one in one team and one in the other, Liverpool possibly win win that game because Haaland, you know, the, he, he he scores, he does what you expect him to do, and and that's a lot harder than it than it sounds. If 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 you know what I mean, the goal that he scored, you think he's through, he's not going to score. The keeper's got the angles covered. Mm. He, he scores, so yeah, okay. Although so, Allison should have saved it. Yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit of a bit of an odd one. Like we say, he didn't have his didn't have his best game. Now I've got um, three moments of the weekend, but they're very very quick, very very quick. Um, first one, Luis Diaz's father was in the away end. Yeah, I mean that's magnificent. Um, I'm asked if you were the guy next to him. Think you knew it was him, or just thought he was kind of another Liverpool fan. He thought, he said, "God, this guy's celebrating very hard just because uh-huh. we've made a substitution." But that was w- wonderful. Kai Havertz's goal. German you know, left back, you know, German left back goal. Havertz has really struggled at, at at Arsenal, but he always comes across as a as a decent lad, a good fella who wants to do well. So to see him score a winning goal was was heartening. But I'm only really mentioning it as a way to get into Aaron Aaron Ramsdale. Um, what on earth? What on earth is is happening to our to our game? You don't, you, don't, you don't want to criticise. We, we've we've not got time to do no, this. But, 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 but you don't want to criticise Raya for mistakes that he's made this season. You, you don't you don't bring those to light. So it's, just, it's just cranking the pressure. For those who up. didn't see, Ramsdale I'm played at, played on on Saturday for Arsenal because David Ray couldn't play against his old team, uh, Brentford, from who was on loan. Um, Ramsdale makes a mistake in the first half, but it's the way it started. So Arsenal have got a goal kick. They've got a goal kick. Gabriel takes the goal kick from the corner of the six-yard box and passes it a yard backwards to his own goalkeeper, Aaron Ramsdale, who's standing on his own goal line. Ramsdale then gets into all kinds of difficulty, falls over. It's modern football. What, Where have you what, been? What is it about modern football that tells coaches that it's better for your goalkeeper to have the ball at his feet Trust. than one of your outfield players? It's madness, it's, Chris. It, 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 it's, it's madness. It's trust. It's misplaced it, it's, trust. It's a way of well, in, in your opinion. Misplaced so, so, hang, so we, we haven't got long enough to talk about this, and it, it, we, we don't have it's long enough. We, 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 let's bring this. Let's bring this to uh, 
to the next part. And it's then. not Aaron Ramsdale's fault, by the way, because uh, uh, he's under but, instruction. But, it's bonkers. But worse than anything, if this, if that is your moment of the week, a real negative. I'm, oh, no, I'm not finished yet. My <laughs> real, real moment. My real, That's awful. No, my, real mo- my real moment of the week is the fact that you fell over at Luton Airport. <laughs> Fell over at Luton Airport this morning That's, and limped, did, yeah. limped into, you didn't the, limped see it. into the street. No, but you've, you've explained it brilliantly. So mm. you essentially, in a hurry, tried to outpace... It was raining. Uh, it was raining. Tried to outpace a less mobile individual in front of you. On, uh, who was on the path, tried walking to, the path. Tried to overtake on the left wing and fell over. Yeah, I went onto the verge, onto the grass verge and, and, and slipped. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got where you, Did she help you up, by the way? <laughs> Did she do it? Did she even look at you? <laughs> carried on, just carried on plodding on. Yeah, see, things if that had happened, it's to awful. Me, if that had happened to me, I wouldn't have told a soul. Um, <laughs> anyway, that is, uh, I think that's a, as good enough place as any uh, to leave it. Thank you for being with us as always. Uh, thanks for your uh, ongoing loyalty and your uh, kind of patience uh, at, at, at times. Um, please. Um, Remember to like and review the show. Please do uh, leave comments. Please subscribe. It's really important to us as we continue to try to get ourselves off the ground as um, as your new podcast. Um, go to Mail Online for all your breaking sports news. Download and subscribe to the Mail Plus app. You'll find lots of extra uh, content there. Um, join us again on Thursday for our It's All Kicking Off weekend preview um, show. But most importantly of all, make sure you're here again next week for the next episode of this one. Um, I'm in Laidman. The chap sitting on my left, uh, still trying to get all the dirt off his trousers, is Chris Sutton. And this has been It's All Kicking Off. (laughs) 